And let's turn to the scriptures now. Who's in the mood for some who's in the mood for some good old-fashioned fire and brimstone preaching? Anybody? I'm in the mood. I could do it. It's a specialty of mine. I love fire and brimstone. <laughs> I remember when I first started preaching, and I was 28 years old, and uh, you know, I, I just had no off switch. I had none. You, 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 I'm so restrained compared to how I used to preach. And uh, these little country churches uh, out in rural Missouri, where, and I went to do my graduate work in uh, St. Louis, I would travel my rules up to three hours. So I got some really, really down-home country churches. And the louder I hooted and hollered, the more they loved it. They just loved it. And then I tried to transfer that to a more urbane setting, and uh, I got into trouble. They did not like it. A lot of people don't like it. I don't think I have to today, though. I don't think I have to do that. Because we're beginning a, a series on the law, but I don't think I have to hoot and holler. And the reason I don't have to is I think the text is going to do it for me. Let's turn to Exodus 19. How many of you are familiar with uh, William Blake? William Blake, the poet. He had a very famous picture. You may have seen it. Sometimes people use it in worship of God creating the world like that. And God's creating the world. So he, he made his, a neat illustrator. Really, really, but Blake believed the Old Testament God was not uh, a good person. He believed it was a different God than Jesus. We, he's a wacko. He's a nudist, too. And <laughs> Seriously. People walked up one time, and he and his wife were sitting there nude. This is the 18th century. He was sitting there nude, and uh, he, he was telling them, oh, we're talking to the angels in the trees. No, not even an exaggeration. All right, so he taught the Old Testament God, who, who he called Urizen, U-R-I-Z-E-N, was a different God than the God of love of the New Testament. Have you ever heard that distinction? Have you ever heard that kind of division, that kind of separation? Well, he made it very popular. And uh, it's been popular since... Um, we're going to read from Exodus 19 today as we begin a series on the law. And I want to preach through the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, as they're called in Hebrew. Let's begin, and I'll annotate the text as we go along. But the people have been rescued from Egypt, and they've been traveling through the wilderness. Now, wilderness, it's Palestinian wilderness. It's Middle Eastern wilderness. It's desert. And the water's been hard to find. Things have been happening. And they come to Sinai. You guys know the, you probably recognize that, even if you don't know much about, about the scriptures, you'll recognize that location. That's where they are. And so we're going to get a little, a little glimpse here, a little glimpse. And uh, when I'm done reading it, we'll pray, I'll pray for illumination or of us today, and, and then we'll reflect on it a little bit. On the morning of the third day. Three days, three days they've been told to consecrate themselves and set themselves apart without sex. They were supposed to clean their clothes, everything. They were told to keep sexually pure and everything. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. They shook. Everything's shaking here, by the way. You'll notice everything is shaking. Even the mountain is shaking. Uh, and all the people trembled. I want to stop 
We just went through the crucifixion. Do you know there's so many parallels with Calvary? It's, it's, it's kind of spooky. Dark clouds, thunder, lightning, shaking. Anyway, all right. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp. He the word camp. There's hundreds of thousands of them, and they're all spread out around him, and they're all organized. Out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke. The word here is, it's absolutely, you can't even see it. They can't see the mountain. A little bit like uh, San Francisco on a really foggy day. They can't see it. It's wrapped in smoke because the I am had descended on it in fire. And please don't miss the prepositional nature of this phrase. In fi- he is in the fire. He's not speaking through. He is in the fire. When did that happen most recently in Exodus? Anyone remember? Pillar of fire. But where did he, how did he first meet Moses? Burning bush. Fire. What does Hebrews say? Our God is a consuming fire. Even the New Testament talks this way. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke. And God answered him in thunder. The I am came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the, to the top of the mountain. And the I am called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. Now, this next few verses are a summation of the entire book, of the rest of the book. And after this chapter, it's all going to be law. It's all going to be rules. And God's rules for holy living. But just, So this is a little bit of a, a summation. And, and so we'll, we'll, we're going to see some up and down here. Um, and the I am said to Moses, go down, come up, go down, and warn the people. Lest they break through to the I am to look and many of them perish. And let the priests who come near to the I am consecrate themselves, lest the I am break out against them. Have you ever been scared by a dog on a leash? I hate to use this image to describe God, but you ever been scared? I see a dog when somebody's walking their dog. dog that's the picture here. Like God is saying, I'm being restrained because he's so angry or possibly so angry. It's not just the people, it's the priests have to worry. Everybody has to worry. It's very startling language. Moses said to the I am, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned them, us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. I want you to get this picture. Have you ever seen like uh, caution tape? Caution tape, it could be yellow or it could be, or sometimes it's uh, orange. I want you to picture the whole mountain surrounded with caution tape. <laughs> I'll go any further, you will die. Even when Moses met God personally in Exodus 3, he was told, stop, don't come any closer. And the I am said to him, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the I am, lest he break out against them. Do you notice how God talks about himself in the third person? Only God gets to do that. If Christopher does that, it's just pretentious. That was a joke. And so Moses went down to the people and told them. Now, now we get to chapter 20, and we'll read this. God spoke all these words, saying, I am 
the I am your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the I am your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the I am your God in vain. For the I am will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to your God, the I am. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the I am made heaven and earth, the sea that and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the I am blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that your God, the I am, is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak for us, speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you and that you may not sin. The people stood afar off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Father, I pray for grace. I pray for insight, illumination. But it's not, I, I, I need that. And, but I don't stand alone. All of us need this. And all of us crave from you. Uh, wisdom, understand these things. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, so this is going to be my regular, every week I'm going to do this. We go through the Ten Commandments. And the first thing I want to do is I want to scare you. Every week, I want to deliver the ministry of death. Why? That is what the, one of, that is what the law, the rules, are for. Many of you probably thought that rules are for holy living. That's not a bad thought. It's simply an incomplete one. It's simply an inadequate one. What is the purpose of these rules, of these standards, of these commandments, of these words? It is to kill you. For only if it kills you will you live. You're like, what the heck is he? What the heck are you talking about, Chris? Walk, work with me. And so as I deliver the ministry of death, I'm hoping I can deliver the ministry of life, too. We'll see. I think it'll make some sense to you as we go along. But every week, and we're going to go through it, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain how any particular command is how it is meant, what is meant to be, what is meant to be kept, and just how much is meant to be kept. And it's going to, it's going to hurt. I'm just telling you. It's going to hurt. If Jesus is doing something here, it's going to hurt. Trust me. 
but the, uh, the balm, the, the healing that comes too by discovering how God is also providing a way to a life to hear through Jesus' son. You know, we'll unpack this. That's what I'm going to try to do every week. So what's the first point I want to make today? God, the first one is really simple. Uh, it's very obvious from the text. I think God is kind of scary. Uh, any, any, any takers on uh, how obvious that is? God is scary. And that is really where the ministry of death begins. So you understand it. God is scary. Uh, I, this, uh, I don't know if you recoil at this, and I, I don't know if we, and maybe there's a, there's a certain sort of sensibility we have about God or some sort of friendly kindness that, or some imagination we have. And I just want to banish it from you. Uh, we have so many different ideas of what we think God is like, and they're just not like this. And we don't associate with him thick darkness. <laughs> thick impenetrable darkness. God is scary. Jesus is. And we can't walk towards his law until we get some of who he is, some of that stuff of who he is, because it's something he wants us to know about him. He is scary. Another way of saying he's scary is to say he is holy. Holy. H-O-L-Y. Holy. <laughs> You heard the word consecrate there again and again? Is it consecrate yourselves? There's this, in order for them to have any hope of even standing in front of a mountain, they don't even they have to consecrate themselves even though they're not going up. <laughs> even to be in his presence, they have to somehow set themselves apart to be because of who he is. And this is where everything in Christianity begins. It begins with who God is. And he is holy. What does that mean? It's holy, holy, holy. We, we sang it today. He is utterly unlike you and me. It's one of the most fundamental things it means. He is not like McLaren. Praise him. He is not like Shao. He is not like Chris. He's not like Brittany. He is not like us. He is totally other. It's, it's bewildering and can be, and that's where that darkness is so symbolic and so rich. We just, and, and we think about this, this is both intellectual, moral, and even existential. It is even ontological. It's about everything you are, Dylan, cannot conceive who he is in himself. Because he is so different than you. He is eternal. He's not bound by space or time. And utterly pure and perfect. perfect. This is the biblical idea of God. His ways are not our ways, says the prophet Isaiah in that magnificent poetry. And there's this sense, and this is very, very gut level, it's meant to communicate something, that God speaks out of the storm, right? It's supposed to communicate something about his nature. So unlike, so unlike, so in a sense alien, so terrifying. God is holy. He is pure, without stain. He is judge. Fire and, I promise you some fire and brimstone. Yeah. Can you imagine what a disservice I would be doing if I didn't, if I didn't, if I if I fail to portray God the way the scriptures do? Maybe you dislike it. Maybe you find it distasteful. I have at times. I remember those feelings. I want to bring our minds and our hearts and our imagination into the obedience of the scripture. Does that make sense? Into obedience of the description of the scripture. And there are things about God that you may not like, uh, and, but uh, 
I can't apologize for him. I dare not. We give you, I'll give you a little example. I, I, got a, I got a parking ticket a couple, like last year or two years ago. And I was doing ministry. I was actually visiting somebody in the hospital. Something like that. I was doing ministry. And I got a parking ticket. And uh, I, my meter expired. It's my fault. But I felt like it was God's fault. Have you ever done that? Like, this is God's fault. I'm doing the right thing. And he, I'm, I was furious. I just got this little place. I'm walking around like, again, I, I, one of my best friends from college calls me. And I'm like, you know what? God hurt my feelings today. Dead serious. I said that. And Cole said, you know, he's kind of a charismatic, which means he, he believes that God speaks to him directly. Maybe God does. And he said, I think I have a word from God for you, Chris. I feel it in my heart. And I was like, what, what is it? What was the word from God? Get over it. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, and I remember what a slap in the face. Sometimes we just need a slap in the face because we've created little models. We have models for understanding or we've created a God who we're comfortable, can't hurt us, or a God who doesn't threaten us, or a God who's comfortable with our world, cho- our life choices, who's comfortable with the, who we hate and hates those people too, or is on our side. And we belittle him. We reduce him. God is not on your side. He's not on anybody's side. He is God. <laughs> as we explore, as, as we kind of explore, as our imagination kind of opens up to new vistas, we realize we may not, there's all sorts of stuff we didn't anticipate here. And also stuff we perhaps we did not prepare for. What's the second thing? God is scary. God is holy. What's the second thing? the word I used in my notes. I can't even remember. I was going to say something really harsh and I don't want to, but the, the view of the, 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 put it this way, the view of the Bible's attitude about men and women is pretty dim. Um, what was it? Uh, Thomas Hobbes, he said that life is nasty, short, and brutish. And he was British. And there's been jokes about that pun. But uh, We're introduced here to a concept visually and viscerally in the boundaries of the mountain that we are sinful creatures, creatures of ruin and rejection who God cannot have fellowship with. Like, I know it just gets worse and worse, doesn't it? First I tell you God's scary. The second thing I tell you is that and we're bad people. That's God's perspective. We're introduced here viscerally and visually in the boundaries of the mountain to a concept that was called total depravity. There is a ruin at work in Dylan and Timothy and even little Nora Abigail. There's a ruin at work in us that is so complete and utter that it alienates us from the person of God. There has to be distance. And the scriptures are, are full of this What's what would today be a terrible pessimism, right? Today we'd be like, oh, wow, you can't go there. It's, but they're unflinching. I like to say, and one of the most beautiful things about the Bible, the Bible <laughs> at some point in every page of the Bible describes every ugly, nasty thing that people do, <laughs> whether it's incest or rape or it, every part of the story. It tells, I remember reading the Bible with my kids and, uh, and at some points, like not wanting to read this passage right here because it's about to talk about how two daughters seduced their dad and got him drunk. 
I don't, I'm going to skip that part. I'll, we'll get to that later. <laughs> and I realized something. In the Bible, nothing is sacred except for God. <laughs> nothing about us is sacred. It's all on display. So you, and, and there's this picture, and, and this picture of, of even, even the priests, even the good guys, even the guys who ostensibly are the religious professionals, even the people who are seeking and serving God, they also what? They're also involved. They also have a problem. They're also depraved. And it's this universal picture. And, and uh, we're not familiar with it, are we? This is not one that we know. Um, it's funny because given the present optimism that I hear from politicians and pundits and psychologists and psychotherapists and whoever you want to watch, any authority in this world will produce or articulate some great hope that we're about to change. Things are about to get better. I've been around long enough to have heard this for a long time. And then Trump got elected. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I'm playing, but you know, it was funny. Everybody has a hope, and then what happens? It goes sideways. And everybody has some program, and it goes sideways. And then people would say, oh, we just need better education, and we'll get better kids. That doesn't happen. And then we need more social programs. Oh, and it doesn't happen. And then we need, well, we need more freedom. We need more freedom from government. And it doesn't happen. The modern, the modern um, intellectual community has, especially in archaeology, has a dirty secret. It's kind of funny. I remember an archaeologist talking about it. It's a dirty little secret. Archaeologists love to dig down deep into the records and annals of man, right? They love to do this. And one of the places you can do this are in tells. Tells in the, in the Middle East are these mountains, but they're like little hills, and hills were defensible points. So in those tells are just a, it's just a wealth of archaeological information about the past. But the dirty little secret is this. The reason we have 30 or 40 layers of rubble to look through is because that's how many times genocide went through that area. Wholesale. Whole cultures wiped out again and again. That's why the archaeological record's there. And the, the dirty secret... <laughs> The dirty, like, little house secret is the reason we have so much to study is because of the man's inhumanity to man. You can hide from it. You cannot admit it about yourself. Let me go a step further in case any, so none of you misunderstand me. So none of you misunderstand me. I'm supposed to be a good person as a pastor. And because I know a lot about the Bible and know a lot about God, I'm worse than you are. And I can be worse than you are. I know how to be worse than you are. Good people are some of the most dangerous people because they think they can make the ledger work through who they are. Not so. What are we to do? I want you to know something. God is scary and... We're depraved. This is a biblical vision. Search your heart. I think God will show it to you. Let me step it further, though. Did you notice this up and down that's going on? Moses is going up. He's coming back down. 
Moses, and the, Moses has this weird, then Moses talks to God, well, you told me to do this, it must be cordoned off the mountain, and he comes back down, tells them everything. And, and then only with Moses can Aaron go up, right? And Aaron's going to go up too. And the next, the last part of Exodus is going to be all these things that God tells, God tells Moses to build and, and, and laws uh, uh, and all these rules. But Moses, Moses occupies this strange place where he's going up and going down. He, what is Moses in that place there? What is he as he goes up and down? He's a mediator between the thunderous God of holy justice and wrath and the men and women who in their sin are afraid. What's the picture? And what in a sense is Moses anticipating? Moses is what we call in, a, in scriptural interpretation a type, a, an anticipation, a, a herald, a picture, a, a billboard. You ever seen like a trailer for a movie coming up? How many of you saw the new Star Wars trailer? It's exciting. You know, you're like, oh, I can't wait to watch it now. Right? Oh, sorry, Nora. Uh, I can't wait to watch it now. That's what Moses is. He's a trailer for who? Jesus Christ and his love. And there's love dripping here because God has come to meet with his people even though he can't abide them. He's providing a way. He's providing a route. He's providing access in and through Moses. And what's that a picture? I will provide access in my love, says the Lord. I will provide access in my love, says the Lord. I will provide it. Don't just you wait, it's coming. His name will be Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us. The impossible, the intractable problem of a holy God and an unholy people is solved. Is, the riddle is, is, see, is, is wrapped up. The, the possibility of a bridge, of a meeting place that brings us into harmony and that brings us new wholeness and that brings God to us and us to him is made possible in the God-man who becomes himself the bridge between sinful men and women and a holy God. This is the Christian scheme, the biblical idea and cosmology. It's worldview for us in our sin. This is what's called the good news of the gospel. Good news for a people who only know bad news. In fact, the love is there even in the preamble. Did you hear it? Did you hear it? I am the Lord your God in Exodus 20 verse 1 who what? Bought you out of the house of bondage, out of slavery. What is the entire premise upon which this law is given? Is what? I love you. I love you. Hmm. One of my friends uh, was an electric engineer. He worked in nuclear power plants. and He used this pic picture, and he used it in a sermon one time. I actually heard him preaching, and I never forgot it. But when he was an electrical engineer in graduate school, um, he, uh, they, uh, they had a classroom where they had a high tension line, like one of the big lines you see on the big towers, going through the classroom. It was right there, and there was a ladder going up to it. And the, the, the casing of the wire was pulled back, and you could see the inner metal core. And if you put on this suit that they had, which, which, which uh, I guess didn't ground you, anyway, yeah, they made so you were not grounded, so, you could, so the electricity wouldn't fly through you. 
If you put this suit on, you could climb the ladder and touch the, the metal. 100,000, 50,000 volts, you could touch it. He said it was amazing. When you put your fingers on it, it felt like you were pushing into something, some like a tingling water, like water that was tingling, like a almost kind of rubbery and pushing back on you a little bit. And with like little, little needles, like prickling your skin. I'd love to try that. Wouldn't it be cool? You need to be grounded in Christ. You need him covering you. That's the picture that's being going to be built here. You need his love and his sacrifice, his presence to cover you. And what happens when it does? What happens? The mediator goes and Christ goes and we go with him now. And the thick darkness is not darkness to us. It's the embrace of light. And we get caught up in wonders. If we, if we begin to see what's happening here, we get caught up in a wonderful thing that a people who were against God, he then loved anyway. While we were still in our anger or our rebellion, or you notice that he says, it, uh, tell them not to come lest they perish. And it's almost like, because one thing that God knows about people too, they have a stupid, evil curiosity. Ooh, I just want to see it. Don't you want to go see it? Let's go see it. That'd be fun. You hear the warnings? Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> the wonder of wonders, God reaches out towards the people who did not love him. He initiates. And he even completes the transaction, completes the route, completes the journey that we would make to him. The story of the gospel and the story of the law, for example, and all these rules we're going to go through, is not about how you can get to God, how your daughter will get to God. It's not how you get to God. This is a description of how God got to us <laughs> and how he gets to us in his love. What's going to be my goal every week? Let me describe it succinctly. It'll be bring you to Jesus. <laughs> Take a look here. Um, what's the first commandment? We're going to look at it in detail next. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. We're going to look at this because before me means in my face for a person stuff. Okay, okay, okay. How do you keep that, Ted? How are you going to keep that? No other gods before me. No other gods in my presence. No other gods. How are you going to keep this with any hope that you never, ever serve anything else? It's really simple, really simple. It's so simple, it's, it's baby talk. It's, it's a cakewalk. Do you know how to keep the law right there? What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. In the first great sermon of Peter preached, the first, his first great words after his denial of Jesus were what? Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will be rescued. There is no other name under heaven by which you may be saved. How do you keep the whole law beginning with the first commandment? Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. <laughs> That's it. The rumblings and threatenings of an angry God. 
the inner failures that we feel and cry out, the ruin that rips out of our souls and our crisis and our failures that we hide from everybody. What do we do with these things? It is so sweet to trust in Jesus. Grace and love and union and peace and fellowship with God are ours in Jesus Christ. He said, I do not think I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish. I came to fulfill. And how shall we fulfill? Trust in him. Be in him. Be found in him. Discover in him all the wonders of God's love. That's how you keep the commandments. So what's my goal every week? I'm going to end with this. I'm going to picture this. How many of you ever gone bird hunting? It's great. It's amazing, isn't it? You ever, did you hunt with a dog? So my first experience of bird hunting was in Minnesota in the winter um, in like 1987 or 88. And my friend had a fully trained bird dog. Have you ever seen anything like that? It's amazing. The dog's name was Penny, little Labrador retriever. And it would sit and it would just stand like this. Like this and, it would just, and then we'd be walking through the fields and you got your guns out and you're walking and it's kind of freaky when a bird like suddenly flushes out and starts flying because you're, it's kind of, it's not a good idea to spook a man who's got a 12 gauge shotgun. So you're walking the fields, but the, what, what's your clue? How do you do it? The dog, when he smells the pheasant, goes on alert. And all of a sudden now you're on alert. And you see him and, I, and then Grant, who I was, I, was, I was hunting with, gave him the commands and the dog's completely like, Almost like a robot. <laughs> like, like it was just operating like that, so on cue, so well trained. And the and he gets to he, he can tell he gets excited as he gets up to where the pheasants like right there. It's like just ten yards away from you. You can see the dog and you and, and he's just about to flush it, and then and then there you can hear the flutter and the and then you see this gorgeous vista of multicolored feathers as it careens down the field and you blow it away. <laughs> I remember thinking that, like, that was so beautiful. Why did I just shoot that? <laughs> what's, gonna be, what's the goal of the law? The law is the dog. A lot of us are self-righteous. We don't really know, not convinced of our wickedness or sin. If we do, we, we think we balance the sheets or we, or we think it's not that big a deal. We trivialize it. And because we don't have a big view of ourselves as God sees us, we're not really all that excited about God's love even. It's like, it's all, <laughs> why, why wouldn't God love me? <laughs> I'm kind of awesome. So we use the law, and what these laws and these rules do is they, they're like a dog, and they're hunting, they're sniffing out, and, they're try, and, and the law comes after you, to try to find what you're hiding. And the law comes after you, and let's say you don't like this teaching about God being terrifying with thunder and lightning. You know, what, you know what the law's doing? It's sniffing out the fact that in your arrogance, you think you know God better than the scriptures. So what it does, and you sit there and go, and, and it finds it, and then it flushes it. That's if God's grace is operative in this moment. It flushes it out. And then the gospel is the gun, and it blows you away. God's grace finally hits you because you finally discover what it must mean for God to love you. 
So I'm going to be every week like a hunter. <laughs> I am. And I'm going to use every means of God's disposal. You may be, some of you will never come back now. That's fine. And so, um, but but um, this is why I do this with myself even. And I'm going to use God's law as, I, as, as, as it's revealed even in by Christ. Christ. Christ's articulation of the law is much, much greater than this. This is, this is low bar compared to what Christ says. Trust me. Christ's law is even greater. We'll look at that. But the point of all that is to what? It's to flush what's in Dylan's heart. To get at what Sarah's really thinking. To get at what's really there. And once we get it, what do we do? We train on it. The gospel of grace. And it blows you away. You discover, I'm really that bad? And yet, I really am loved that much. Yes! And the law and the ministry of death brings the ministry of life. Let's pray. Father, I think I'm, it's only what I know. I don't know what, where are the places and time, but what even most of our people, most of our lives are so hidden from one another, we don't know what one another's really do, what, what we're really doing. But I do know, as far as I can reckon, and as far as I can see it, I'm the worst man I know. I'm the worst sinner that I, that I know of. As far as I can tell. And that's because even with knowing everybody, everything everybody always confesses to me, I still know it. Your law terrifies me. Not only should I not be a pastor, I ought not to be one of your children, one of your loved ones. And you love me still. You've blown me away, Father. Your love has chased me in the darkest hours of my life. And I praise you. I pray for the victory of the gospel and your love in our hearts. I pray for conviction that comes by the Spirit as we go through the law. I pray that we would, I ask for grace to do this, because this is, in some of us, this is totally new territory, and it just, it's frightening, and it seems so wrong, it seems so off, and, uh, it's so different than our culture. Now help us understand it. If anybody here is just really gets, it really feels discouraged right now and thinks that you hate them because of their sin, would you speak words of life that I know to be true? You don't hate me. You love me. You told me so. You actually like me. You actually like us. How we thank you for a grace and a love that blows us away. Father, apply the ministry of death so our souls might be rescued. And now apply the ministry of life and rejoicing as we come to the table. In Jesus' name, amen. God is holy. I want you to understand how terrifying that is. Do you know what that means? On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it and said, this is what? My body. This is how holy God is. He will accept nothing less than what? The body of his own son. In the same way, he also took a cup of wine. He said, this is the blood of the covenant. 
This is forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Eat this bread and drink this. Eat this bread and drink this cup. I want you to see on display here an amazing love, but a terrifying love. So we come every week. He said, "Do this. And remember me." We come every week. Christ in His blood went up the mountain and came down and brought us all back up with him. Come to the table if you're a sinner and you know Jesus. Don't be afraid of the mountain now. Break forth on the mountain with love and come and get Jesus. He is your Savior. If your trust is in Christ and him alone, then this is your table. Fear not, don't be discouraged, don't be afraid in your ruin or your shame or your secret sins. Don't be afraid anymore. Let me issue a warning. Let me put up a warning on the mountain. Let me put up a warning for everybody to see before a holy God. If one of you dares to appear to God saying, I am a good man, I am a good woman, I am the one who has worked hard, it's my righteousness, it is because I'm a good person, what you are is self-deceived and a hypocrite. And you do not deserve to come to the table. You're not worthy to come to the table. You're still trying to climb the mountain on your own merit. Did you hear what God said about that? I will break out against you. Sinners come to the table. If you're a skeptic and you've been sitting there going, this is crazy. Uh, maybe as a skeptic, you're sitting there going, uh, I don't know if I can accept this or believe it or trust it. But there's a bunch of prayers in the back for you to pray. Just kind of like test God a little bit and search him out about this and see if this is real. Then I ask you just to watch. Watch a bunch of people who are convinced that God should kill them, and then, but know that he won't, and he loves them. <laughs> like, that's, that's weird, isn't it? You're going to watch a bunch of people who think that God should kill them. They should die for what they've done, but they won't because Jesus died for them. <laughs> and that's why they come to the, Isn't that cool? That's a, oh, maybe it's just weird to you. I don't know. All right, so. Good. All right, that's enough. Um, we're going to do a bunch of things right now. We're going to do, read the Nicene Creed adopted by the church in the 300s. As we read that creedal affirmation of our faith, after, I'm sorry, afterwards, and we sing, um, we sing together. Um, what was the last song? I remember. Um, I hope it's built on nothing less. Oh, that's a perfect application of the sermon. Uh, as we sing this, will you come forward and get the, the elements? And then take them back to your seat. And then we'll take them together because it's together we, we, we have this as a people. And, uh, and then we'll be done. And uh, it's by, by report, uh, Megan has prepared the fire pit. And not, uh, that sounded completely wrong in context of this sermon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Megan has reserved uh, a place over at the, uh, at the, there's a wonderful block over here. What do they call it? Spark. The Spark. And it's like all these different, uh, like uh, little food trucks. Thank you. I'm so out of it. All these food trucks that are there. And we're gonna, it was fun and fun. We all kind of congregate. And it's sunny today. We can sit in a fire pit and all eat together. And you're welcome. To, you're all welcome to join us. Everybody, let's just, let's go and enjoy ourselves together after worship. It's the one by the TV screen. One by the TV screen. Not the same one as last time, but we'll find it. Look for Megan. She'll be there. I need to, I don't, I do not have this memorized. I'm not that holy. It's another, 
another example of what a fallen pastor you have. Where put my glasses? All right, there they are. All right, Christian, brother and sister, tell me, what do you, Church of God, First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco, what do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, God of God, Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not created, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary, and was made man, was also crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.